Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode 23 of season 3, and I'm your host as always, Andy Davis. Really, really interesting episode this week as we delve into a couple of very different issues that have one thing in common. They are both incredibly important factors that will shape this industry for the next decade. First up, we're talking about the environment, and with the whole world focused on Glasgow and the COP26 conference, I'll be catching up with Richard Hagen from Crystal Doors, who is right there in the thick of it. So what's happening, what's it like to be there, and what does it all mean for the KBB industry? Uh, Richard is, of course, an evangelist for making this industry much more sustainable, and his company has become an incredible example of just what can be done. So if you want the background on his and Crystal Door's journey, then go back to episode five of season two, where we go into it really in depth. It's really, really inspiring too. I'll stick the link to that in this episode's description. And then we're revisiting the shortage of installers, still a massive issue, of course, and I'm talking to BIKBBI CEO Damien Walters again and KUKA MD Stephen Johnson about the new KBB Fitted Interiors Apprenticeship. That's a real solution that may be, just may be, the answer to making sure that we're never in this position again. Now, just so everyone knows, this is the last episode of Season 3. If you heard last week's show, you'll know that this is actually episode number 99 overall. So, Season 4 will begin in a few weeks with episode one. 100 and hopefully we've got something really interesting lined up for that so don't go anywhere but back to this week and before we get into the main events it's now less than two weeks before entries close for the kbb review retail and design awards 2022 the official closing date is november the 16th and there will be no extensions what's the point of a closing date if you just move it it's totally free to enter as always, and we have categories for designers, retailers, suppliers, manufacturers, service providers, and of course, installers. So there's no excuse. For everything you need to know, go to kbbreview.com or slash awards. And here is Richard Hagen from Crystal Doors. He's coming live from COP26. So Richard, how is it in Glasgow? Good morning. It's absolutely fantastic up in Glasgow. I turned up Saturday all day Sunday, there's 10,000 police officers from all the way around the country. Uh, we're expecting next weekend to be up to a million people protesting. It really is a fun place to be, uh, and it's at the centre of this planet. That's the, definitely for this moment in time. Well, that is fantastic. I thought you were going to say then that all those police were there for you. They knew you were coming. Your reputation precedes you. <laughs> Everybody is now talking about it. I, I think the main one is, is, is this acceleration to sort of climate action this decade. We know it's seven years to the tipping point. Everybody's starting to get on board. The stress of this importance of keeping within 1.5. We're already at 1.2. Uh, we're looking at what 2.7 at this moment, which is going to be a crisis, a proper crisis in 30 years' time. Uh, the ending of the overseas coal and the finance of it is, is definitely critical to what's going to be talked about at COP26. And the main one is this increase in adaption, which is where hopefully in the conversation, there's a lot of positives to be taken. Well, look, before we get into the detail of this, I'm very conscious that you've got a lot going on up there. You've mentioned it a little bit, but can you give us an idea what the atmosphere is like at the moment? Because we're watching it on the news here, but you're right there in the thick of it. Paint us a sort of a picture of what this event is like for activists like you. It's very mellow at the moment. There is more police than people. They're driving around constantly, um, but there's no flashing lights. There's no guns. Uh, we've got the helicopter over. We've got on, on the River Clyde. We've got the boats going up and down. Greenpeace have turned up. They turned up yesterday. Um, they're not allowed to go anywhere near the centre of where the leaders are. They've blocked off a lot of roads, but they're allowing people to do the walking. So 
where I'm positioned at the moment is about 1.1 mile away from the green zone. So yesterday was the first day I, I went there. They've got ballards as though they've got 10,000 people turning up. Three people were there in the queue waiting before myself. So th- there've been difficulties. There was supposed to be this train strike that would have caused chaos. Uh, that disappeared five days before it opened. But we've still got people missing with the trains, with the flights, with not being able to get around the country at this moment in time. There is a lot of activity, but at the moment, it's it's. It, I feel very secure walking around. I don't feel that there's any intimidation uh, at all. But certainly, come the weekend when the protesters really do turn up in force, because they're also fighting for independence uh, as as well as all the green agendas. And certainly, every single green party that or, or green. Uh, community that's here. I've seen sort of the women, the old people, the, the youth. The, everybody is is wanting to obviously play their part to say we're not doing enough. We talked before. You're clearly because an evangelist, an advocate for uh, sustainability, both personally and in your business, of course. But what is it about this event that compels you to be there in the thick of it in person? Oh, it's historical. There's no there's no two ways about that. Th- this is historical. We've got Prince Charles sort of saying, you know, th- this is the last decade. We've got Sir David Attenborough saying, this is the, the last few years that we've got. This is true. Um, we know now that the scientists in 1990 knew that there was difficulties and everybody ignored it. Everyone believed it was impossible. What we've now got is the technology is there and it's more of a case of those early adopters need to make those changes. Uh, an, an example is, is Tesla. Four years ago, uh, it, it was struggling in 2017, lost £2 billion in one year. And now he's worth more than all the other car companies put together and his sales will carry on rocketing. Uh, and, and that's what we need is we need disruptive companies saying that this is a different way of doing business. Yeah, and it's amazing that you're there to, to sort of report on it and, t- and tell us what's going on. Obviously, as you say, there's a huge amount riding on this, but what specifically are you hoping will come out of it in terms of actual policies and decisions? Because it's such a massive, you know, it's, the topic itself is clearly so enormous and so multifaceted. But what will make this a success for you when you're on your way home? The, the main success is, 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 is already coming out. It came out last night. Uh, a lot of the big banks with the, the, the leaders uh, meeting that I went to, or the evening meal that I went to yesterday, along with a lot of the, the, the people from Parliament. And it's the banks that already know exactly what you've purchased, they know exactly where it's come from, and they know the habits of, of people. And what they're now doing is, is with artificial intelligence, with their computers, with the massive amounts of data, are starting to scope that there, there is the possibility now. The pension companies lost a lot of money, and they've taken instant... Uh, response by pulling out of a lot of shares fossil fuels last year lost 123 billion we've now got the insurance companies wanting to close down a lot of the 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 policies that they've got where they know they're going to pay out what we've now got is a government saying there needs to be green finance and this is going to be money uh, available to those companies but those companies first will have to evidence that they've got a sustainable plan it's not just a case of i want to buy solar panels do i get them cheap Right, so it's about the sort of practical uh, day-to-day aspects of, of financing the change, of, of forcing this change through and incentivising the change. That's what, that's what the key things are for you. It, it, it is indeed, yes. Uh, I, I did it without any of the gains. Uh, one that came out of the Chancellor uh, was the solar panels on the roof. We now get rate relief uh, from next April. Um, mine are already on. I won't get any relief whatsoever. But it was a case of I wanted to do it. But now the floodgates are starting to open. There's opportunities to be able to understand your carbon footprint for a business. And obviously, personally, it's very, very easy. But those steps 
are now starting to be pushed out into the open to sort of say, this is what you do. These are the low-hanging fruit. These are your hot spots within a company. Uh, and this is how you can address it and make sure that it then becomes a sustainable, resilient business in the future. Uh, and that's where the planning is. It's 2050. A lot of the companies won't exist. Uh, but what will exist is a lot of new companies that have got these new adoptions and have got those sustainable uh, credentials within their company. So for Crystal Doors to survive, I wanted to get those credentials as soon as possible. And it's the same for our industry. I mean, is that really the big change here? Is that the tipping point that's happened? The impetus has gone away from rhetoric, if you like, of just everyone talking about how awful this all is, to very, very, very practical solutions from the world leaders down. Yes, that, 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 is, that is the game changer. Um, it, it used to be, um, we're not too sure, uh, and there were so many different options and nobody knew which ones to take. Now what we've got is uh, a, bit, a bit like last night. You know, the, the G20, there was only France and England that had signed up their pledge. We've now got 17 countries on board. Uh, I think that will come out of COP20, is that we've got this unity throughout the whole world. And that also needs to be sort of noted that, all the countries need to move together. There's no point in one country being way ahead, and yet you've got a massive polluter in another country. Uh, what what they, they're wanting to do at COP26 this time is put everybody on the same playing field, which means that the, the third world countries are going to be financed um, with uh, renewable energy, uh, and, and that's the, the advanced countries are going to adopt to the, the um, EV cars and switch over to renewable electricity. Um, one of the best conversations I had last night was is the speed of adoption is things like the hydrogen. Uh, at the Green um, uh, Summit, we've, we've, we've got uh, the hydrogen aeroplane sitting there. They say within two years that's going to be a reality for an actual vehicle. Uh, so Rolls-Royce are steaming ahead now, and it is money by the government. Um, the, the, the government's just trying to spot out what are the best options for them to be able to put a couple of pounds towards it get it matched by the large companies and get all the SMEs involved. Uh, and I think this is where we're getting this. It's, it's a team spirit game um, to be able to move forwards. And that's what's changed. It does feel a little bit it's like a new industrial revolution, isn't it? That's, that's what was mentioned last night. Absolutely, yes. It's, yeah, the first industrial revolution is obviously where we started to be able to produce stuff and produce stuff at, at the right price and improve the lives of lots and lots of people around the world. Um, but now those billions of people who are, are spending and enjoying now just need to slightly adapt by changing the habits that they've got and changing the way that manufacturers are manufacturing to be able to make it a much more long-term rather than this consumerism of just purchase, purchase and purchase again. I mean, let's get into the nitty-gritty of this industry, our industry, KBB. Uh, are there imminent decisions there, do you think, that will directly relate in, for us in, you know, in manufacturing or logistics, you know, the ones that will directly affect crystal doors, for example? Um, certainly the, the, the plastic side and the metal side. Um, when we did our scope three, which is sort of the technical thing of up and downstream, uh, we found that there's 300 tonnes of carbon emissions just from the plastic that we purchase. And we're only a small company at 3 million turnover. So for the big boys, uh, these are some of the hot spots. The other one is, is anyone who uses metal, uh, is, is that once again, is you've got a huge amount of offsetting to do. Uh, and they're already talking about carbon credits. So as soon as the carbon credits come through, that's when everyone's not going to be just looking at the money, but they're going to look at what is the impact. And there'll be certain industries, certain products within our industry that will need to radically change. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's not necessarily IKEA's great sort of champion to say, you know, bring it back and this is circular economy. It's going to be 
new products within our market which will embed uh, very, very little carbon, will last a lifetime and be able to be upgraded and changed and adopted uh, and, and will be part of circular economy. And yes, it might sound like it's, it's outlandish, but just watch this space in the next five years. Well, I mean, what is your optimism there? Because last time we spoke, I asked you to score this industry out of 10, and it was a particularly bad cha-cha-cha <laughs> you gave them a score for there. Are you optimistic that this is an industry can turn itself around in such a short space of time? I think the reason why Crystal Doors is, is able to sort of say that we're, we're champions is because we use wood, uh, and that embeds a huge amount of carbon. I, I think this, this industry can definitely champion uh, and I think the fact that the, the government uh, and, and certainly all the different organisations that I've joined are sort of saying, how have you done it? And it's because we've got a biomass burner that is self-supply. It's because we are using wood and it's because we are very, very efficient at how we, we process our products. This industry could become one of the leading champions. Which would be fantastic if we could see that. I mean, what, what I like about this whole conversation that's going on around COP, because obviously you're not a world leader yet, you're not in that room, but obviously as in any of these things when they happen, there's this fringe event builds up around it, doesn't it, which you are very much a part of. But what I like about it all is it puts it in the front of everyone's mind as a conversation, doesn't it? So even if, if formal policies don't come out, it does build momentum with consumers in their minds, doesn't it, and the decisions they ultimately make. It, particularly with the next generation, it makes it just a conversation that is part of everything. It is, yeah. The, the younger generation get it straight away. Uh, they're going to see the effects of what's happening uh, in the future uh, with climate change, uh, and I think that's going to be where we do see a revolution, is, is their buying power and their ability to be able to say, I will not jump in a fossil fuel car. I will not eat X, Y, and Z. I will not go on, on that, that type of holiday. I will only buy from these sort of companies. Uh, and, and we've got sort of B Corp is one of them, uh, a, a sort of a, a change in sort of what business is about. And, and once we start seeing the consumers wanting to change, you're too late. You're too late when you're sort of getting the consumers turning up and saying, you know, have you got X, Y, and Z sustainable credentials? And you go, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just on price. And they will just walk out of the shop. It's a clear case. If I if I see things that don't have certain labels or bought from a, a certain country, I'm not interested in buying it. It's a change of habits of how us as humans in society are wanting to be able to survive together. And it's about looking after other people. Um, so it's not necessarily the price is going to be the determining factor anymore. It's going to be what value do, do you bring to the table when you're selling a service or a product? Yeah, there's a certain irony, isn't it? Because I was watching the news and you, know, you look at all the world leaders all gathered together. And of course, they're all of a certain age. And you know, particularly in the West, they're all of a certain colour and all of a certain affluence, shall we say. And it's very interesting hearing them talk so much about, the, about this subject. But actually, the real repercussions are for the people that follow behind them. There is that big, big change that's occurring. Certainly in this country, we've got cronyism. Uh, we've got this elitism, um, and, and that is starting to change. Um, but we only have to look back a few hundred years, and we do know that, obviously, rich families used to sort of run countries, and now we're starting to see people like Elon Musk and, and, and all the other big companies that have taken off in America. Those are just individuals. One person could change the whole country. One sort of invention could change the whole country. And I think that's what we're starting to see is, is the grassroots is now starting to come through that there is change. And certainly over the next three years, even this year, those that have ignored uh, climate change and s making small adaptions have actually lost profits, are going to lose sales. 
And I, th I think that's sort of what's come out of COP26 is the conversation is now about action, about what have you actually evidenced to say that you've done something. No longer is words and posturing and saying, well, in the next five years, we'd like to do this. But that's been ignored. Uh, it is what have you done? And as you say, that is a very real long-term planning issue for any business in this industry and any other. Yeah, we've got to have the long-term goals, and that's why I think 2050 is, is, is a very, very long-term goal. Obviously, a lot of the old people, like you say, uh, in politicians and, and large companies won't, won't be there to, to sort of be in a position of power. But what we have got is these short-term goals, and this is where one of them is it's called scientific approach, uh, which means that you, you have to take action immediately. Uh, no longer can companies pledge and say, oh, by 2038, we'll have sorted Manchester out. Now we want proof that every single year you're on target. Uh, and therefore, you've got these short-term goals of saying we need action every day. We need action in, in the way that uh, the culture of the business has changed uh, and the way that we're actually focusing what what is our purpose of business. Well, listen, Richard, by that time, I think Manchester will be an independent state. Uh, and therefore, you could you, you could well be attending these conferences in the Green Zone as one of the delegates. So, Environment Minister for Manchester, how about that? It, it, it sounds uh, almost feasible. I'm, I'm certainly pushing myself <laughs> in that direction. Uh, I, I will be talking, hopefully, next week uh, at the COP26 uh, Green Greens uh, event uh, in Manchester. And I was at the Green Summit uh, giving a conversation. It's, an, it's a very interesting space, uh, and, and I think at long last we've got change, and that's what we need, uh, is we need new products, new exciting things. But the main one to me is it, it's about having fun, um, doing the things that you're passionate about, uh, and, and achieving things that, you, that other people believe is impossible. Well, Richard, thank you so much for this. It's always great to talk to you. You're so passionate about it, as you say, and it, you're such a, a leader in this industry and beyond. And it's, and I think that you set a fantastic example for everyone else to follow. So, look, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure you've got lots of important meetings to go to, but keep fighting the good fight, and we'll speak again soon. Thank you very much indeed, Andrew. Right, let's talk apprenticeships now. And joining me down the line, we have a couple of old friends of the show. We've got Damien Walters, the CEO of the British Institute of Kitchen, Bedroom and Bathroom Installation, or BIKBBI. Hello, Damien. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. I always have to write that bit down before I talk to you. <laughs> I know, the acronym's rubbish, mate. We've got to shorten it somehow. <laughs> and we've got Stephen Johnson, the Managing Director at KUKA. Hello, Stephen. Hello, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. See, short, snappy name. I like it. Yeah, I can never mention uh, Damien's company name, even in email. <laughs> yeah, it should be spelt with a K, though, remember, Stephen, just saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, none of us will ever forget that one, will we? <laughs> so, Damien, let's start with you. As I think yeah, we've discussed a few times on here, the skills gap, the installer shortage crisis, et cetera, et cetera. But I think now we're, we're moving that debate on a bit, aren't we, to try and find these practical long-term solutions to make sure, as much as we can, that we're not in this situation again. So... You just launched this brand new apprenticeship program, the KBB Fitted Interiors Apprenticeship. So you can explain this much better than I can. So fill us in on the details. What makes this different? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks very much for the opportunity to talk about it as usual, Andy. You know, we really do need as many people to know about this as possible. Yes, we have a solution in terms of the skills gap crisis for a sustainable solution, which is important to point out. Lots of reasons why we are where we are, so I'm not going to go over that. But in terms of the solution that we found is a fit for purpose apprenticeship that is absolutely driven to kitchen, bedroom and bathroom installation and home office, by, may I add, that is called the Level 2 Fitted Interiors Apprenticeship. I'm definitely not going to claim full accolade for the creation of the apprenticeship. This has been 
a very much an industry piece over you know maybe six seven eight years beyond uh, that started in the days of the NTG and and lots of really well placed people putting to putting their minds together to come up with a an apprenticeship that was fit for purpose. But we have very much developed that over the last few years, and more importantly for for where we are today is that we've spent a lot of time uh, trying to understand how an institute can really you know, have a, a positive effect on its national take-up. So we have an apprenticeship. It's a two-year apprenticeship that is uh, very much, as I say, geared toward, ki- ki- uh, geared toward kitchen, bedroom and bathroom installation with now home office added to it. It's available in its sort of purest format in that if you're a potential employer, you can just go ahead and subscribe to it. You know, go find yourself an apprentice if you haven't already got one and put them on this pathway. And we can certainly support to uh, support you to connect with a training provider who off- offers that. But actually what we've done is gone one step further, Andy, and that is in recognition that the majority of this industry is operated, you know, in a micro SME environment and that these people need some additional support in the delivery of uh, an apprenticeship within their business. And that's where BIKBBI Skills Plus comes into play. And that was part of the, the sort of big, big announce last week. Right. So, so the major difference here, Damien, is it's the support for the employers taking on the apprentice, isn't it? It's the, it's the two-pronged approach. It's finding the people out there who want to get into it as a career, yeah. but then making sure that they have the placements to go into once they're on board. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it, it kind of happens in, in slightly reverse to that. So the first thing that you do, and this is wh- you know where we are at the moment, is that we must um, create the vacancy, as it were, the job vacancy that is the apprenticeship. How do we do that? Well, we're good because we have an audience, but we, we need more, that's for sure. We went out to our audience last week and said, you know, how many of you would genuinely like to take on an apprentice anytime soon? I think we're up to 250 businesses in the space of a week have actually registered their interest in taking on an apprentice imminently. That is amazing, by the way. We we should all be very proud of that Um, because that is potentially over 300 apprentices joining our industry soon which is fantastic of course Stephen you're here because I guess an initiative like this isn't cheap and you and Kuku are sort of underpinning the funding for it so look why have you done that what is it about this that compels you to get involved so practically I think first of all I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed and disappointed that I wasn't alive to the problems that exist in our marketplace And I think the first thing I want to point out is all the effort and hard work we're doing now, we're not going to avoid this crisis. There is a skills gap and we have it. It exists and all the work and effort we do now is going to resolve it. But but it's it's a long-term job. So I think the COVID crisis for me undoubtedly shook the kitchen industry. It's brought considerable and persistent financial pressures Staff welfare strains placed on retailers, manufacturers and businesses across the country. We've undergone some of the toughest trading conditions ever faced in the industry. And at KUKA, I really believe that we have a wider responsibility of support wherever possible. And I I, I really realise that the industry success depends on businesses and brands 
uniting to do what they can. So I, I, I'm really, we're really honoured and delighted to be able to, to be involved in this, this crucial initiative to grow and train the next generation of installers. It's, it's not lost on me how important the installer is in the process of achieving ultimate customer satisfaction. You, you can have the most amazing product in the world. However, we shouldn't forget that it's the installer that leaves that lasting impression. And it's absolutely essential that we bring new and fresh youth into our industry or we will we will fail. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how one of the things that's come out of this whole COVID crisis, and, of, and, and ironically, it's because of the high demand that's come out of this crisis, is that this industry's ability to get in its own way. We've got an enormous demand that, that should have bailed out this industry from, from many of the, the hardships that might have come of COVID. And actually, we haven't been able to cash in on that demand as easily as we should because of these problems. I mean, it's not just installers either, of course, it's product shortages and recruitment of staff in showrooms and everything else. It's just we've somehow made it very difficult for itself. Yeah, but I also think that we have to look at the installer differently as an industry. I've really woken up to this myself. And when I look at my business, you, you know, you have salespeople in your business, sales managers, you know, they're targeted, uh, they win awards, they're seen as a prestigious part of the business. And then I was looking at my installers and I'm thinking, you know what, they actually do the most, probably the most important job, they're the lasting impression with the, with the customer and we need to be investing in them. I want diversity in my installation team and... As, a, as an industry, we, we need to deliver this. And I think Damien's approach and the scheme will help us do that. And it, it's about bringing youth into our industry. And it will be for the benefit of everybody. Damien, you've clearly got a convert there in Stephen. And a lot of this is about momentum, isn't it? I think you know there's been very positive noises from government in terms of focus on apprenticeships and vocational education. Do you think this momentum will continue, will push people into this into this line, rather than it being a, just an uphill struggle for you to go out to schools and try and get people one by one? Well, look, I think first and foremost is that we are not going to be able to fix this on our own. To be perfectly frank with you, without the investment from Stephen and the team at KUKA, we would not be in a position to be where we are here today. Um, that definitely doesn't underplay the the support that our corporates have given over the years. They have laid the foundation to this and, and our members, of course. But the, the reality is, is that it needs funding. But now we've got that, it needs the industry to get behind it. The government, like you quite rightly have said, have been very supportive of apprenticeships. They've invested lots of time and money. Even throughout this whole coronavirus situation, they've still been fairly focused on apprenticeships. And as we we pull out the other side of that, they are up in the game again. You know, some fantastic support in the budget last week around apprenticeships and, you know, the, the, the billions of pounds that will be invested into that. But... And, and this is this is the big part, actually, Andy, is that we've created the solution. We've created the service to support that solution. The government are funding that solution in Maine. But actually, it's now up to us as an industry to get behind it. The momentum isn't going to come from government. It can't be the Institute banging the drum and attempting to push water uphill this has got to be something that the industry now embraces and takes upon itself to use the tools 
uh, that have been provided for them. And the government have been really clear, actually, Andy, in that if we don't get behind this as an industry, if we do not put apprentices through this programme, they will withdraw funding immediately and give it to an industry that does want it. So this, we're actually at a very critical juncture here because we've done all the talking, uh, it's now time for action. And if we don't do it, it, it will be taken away from us. And, and that, I, I actually don't know. <laughs> uh, in fact, I do know we haven't got a plan B, Andy. There is no other way that we are going to fix this skills gap crisis. Simple as that. Well, and it's very clear from the 250 names you've already got there that there is an interest in this, and and, and with that support, it, it will happen. I mean, look, Stephen, you know, as I say, you're a convert here. What would be your message to, to other KBB brands in this sector here? What, what's your message to them about the role that they could or should be playing in this? Yeah, listen, everybody's in a different, different financial position. I think what I would encourage everybody in the industry to do is invest in Damon and his team, the, the, the hard work's been done. It, it crucially comes down to now ensuring that they have enough funding to, to drive this matter forward. I am a convert um, and I am absolutely going to ensure that with Damien's help, we achieve success in this process. But I, I, I would really encourage others that might have been, I use the word ignorant in a polite way. I was really ignorant to this, really ignorant. I didn't understand the severity of the problem. It, it's going to impact on my business now. And I would encourage everybody to, to take a look at it and become involved in it, whether you can be involved financially, vocally, in any which way. But it really needs an industry coming together to push this forward. Let's round this up, Damien, with a nudge in the right direction then. Where can people go to find out more about how to get involved? Great. Our website has been developed specifically around the apprenticeship programme. If um, your listeners uh, and readers can go to our website, bikbbi.org.uk, click on the education tab, follow the pathway through to apprenticeships and everything you'll need to know is on there. The question that people often pose is that, you know, there's lots of people very keen to support apprenticeships because I think it is a no-brainer, Andy, but they often ask, well, how do we do it? And, you know, like like, uh, Stephen said, um, there would be different businesses and people in there that that um, can contribute differently based on their their personal circumstance, their commercial circumstances. But there's lots of ways that you can support. So, if you're a supplier, a distributor, a manufacturer wanting to support our efforts, then there's there's lots of different vehicles. Whether that's becoming a corporate sponsor and supporting us financially whether it's supporting our training partners with products uh, to help the learning process for the new apprentices, whether it's simply promoting us to your audience, to your customers, your, uh, you, you know, your installer population, um, whether it's speaking to other people that you know uh, about becoming uh, either a, an installer member, whether to become a retailer, whether to become a, a supplier, distributor, manufacturer, corporate sponsor of us, or whether it's even encouraging your customers to choose a BIKBBI registered business. Because the more the consumers actually invest in the organisation, the more people will want to be part of it. So it doesn't have to cost anything other than a little time and a little effort. That doesn't mean to say that money isn't important because 
we want to outreach into these schools like we do. And this is this is where this is where the cost really comes in now. Um, we, we've got the the interest of the the industry in part, and I'm sure with your help, Andy and KBB Review, we, we will get some more. Um, once we've got that and we've created the vacancies, then we hit the road. We take this industry into schools, colleges, youth centres, youth organisations, and we talk to people about these opportunities. And that costs money. That is putting fuel in vans, putting people on the road, accommodating people, producing literature to put in front of these kids. And that, that takes a lot of effort, a lot of time and a lot of money. And we are not funded by government for this. Their funding goes into the delivery of the apprenticeship. Our funding comes from our members, comes from the industry, and comes from those people around that share the vision in, in, in what we do. And if that's not there, Andy, it simply doesn't happen. So whoever you are, whatever your budget is, whatever your audience is, there will always be a way you can support this. If you can help us, we will help you. Well, I'll vote for you, Damien. How about that? That's that's your stump speech, and it always gets me every time. Look, (laughs) gents, thank you so much for your time. This is a great initiative, of course it is, and you know everyone should back it because this is the way out of 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 some of the mess that we're in. We will revisit again to find out how it's going, but until then, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you, and thanks for the opportunity, and Stephen. Thank you as always for the support that you give and, and and the words that you share. Very, very wise. Thank you, mate. Lovely. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Damien. That was Damien Walters and Stephen Johnson. There's some really important work going on that everyone should at least go and find out more about. I'll put Damien's link in the episode description. Thanks as well, of course, to Richard Hagen for sparing us some time from his trip to COP26. I really do recommend going back and listening to his story if you haven't heard that. It will make you think differently about your business and what you can actually practically do to play your part. Again, I'll put that link in the episode description. And don't forget, entries closed for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards on November the 16th. It's totally free to enter, and all the info is at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. I'll see you in a few weeks for episode 100.